At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the fifth bonus episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where we bring you conversations with experts in fields related to urban farming and dive a little deeper into some of the important issues of our times. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. Today in our bonus podcast, we have a familiar voice as we talk with Bill McDormand and answer some more seed class questions. Welcome to the show today, Bill. Hello, Greg. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to have you. Last month, we had an amazing conversation about seed patenting, which is now available on our podcast. You can go and find it on the podcast as one of our bonus episodes from about two weeks ago. And I'll tell you what, Bill, they have been listening like mad. We have over 2,400 listens on that podcast from two weeks ago. So that was definitely a topic that, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I really think it's going to end up being one of the top, the major topics of the next few years in the seed movement, in the organic seed movement. And so, yeah, we did some really great in-depth explanations of the definitions of PVP patents, plant variety protection patents, and how they mm-hmm. differ from utility patents. And so, yeah, if you want to learn a lot in a really short base about this and how it affects your own seed saving. Yeah, listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, tonight, I'm actually really excited. You brought a new player to the game tonight, and I'm really excited to introduce Julia Coffey. She is the president of Seeds Trust, an incredible seed company dedicated to encouraging customers to save seeds and reverse the loss of biodiversity, not only in our backyards, but around the world. She is from Denver, And when she's not measuring out seeds, printing packets, growing tomatoes, hunting down the most resilient and special seed varieties, all of which we can talk about tonight, she likes to take full advantage of the magnificent swath of the Rocky Mountains by hiking, backpacking, climbing, and breathing fresh air. She also likes to sing and is a member of the Colorado Choir. I may have you sing tonight, Julia. An 80s acapella group, a hip-hop acapella group, and a rock and roll blues band. She graduated from the University of Colorado Boulder with degrees in linguistics and French, and then lived in France teaching English and learning about local food market economies versus the global industrialized food model. She met Bill McDormand while visiting a permaculture farm in Lyons, Colorado. He was giving a lecture on seeds and seed diversity, and it generally changed her life. She immediately found him after the lecture and told them that she wanted to get involved and then ended up 
on Bill and Bell's first seed school workshop and then continued to apprentice with him in Cornville, Arizona. After graduating from seed school, she helped Bill and Bell run Seeds Trust, then bought the business from them in 2011, returning to Denver to provide high-altitude adapted seeds to mountain growers. Well, hello, Julia. How are you? Hello. I'm wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys. You know, I know that you're one of the young ones out there, and that's part of the reason I'm so excited to chat with you, because young people do get involved. In fact, I recently read a study that of the 6 million new gardeners last year, 5 million of them were millennials. Is that amazing? That's pretty hopeful, I'd say. Yeah, that's very yeah. encouraging. Go us! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go exactly. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, you do a lot, and we may have you sing a little in a little while, so get prepared for that. But what we really want to talk about tonight is your seed company, starting a seed company, running a seed company. And so tell us, give us a little bit of background about your seed company and how did it all happen? Well, I'm really fortunate in that I actually just got to hop on a seed company that had already existed for 25 years, mm. and that's a pretty rare opportunity. So I, I'm kind of a hybrid myself of entrepreneur and, you know, business person, seed mm -hmm. person, and I got to learn from Bill just straight up, yeah. which was wow. also really special <laughs> for me. Yeah, so I hopped in the seed business in which we're sitting right now, actually, in this adobe building that uh -huh. used to be uh, where the seed company was. I started out just learning how to package seeds, learning about, you know, the different weights, the different sizes, all this kind of stuff. And then eventually it came into my hands, and I've been rocking and rolling with the seeds for about six years now. Nice. Nice, nice. So go back to that moment when you were inspired, and it's like, okay, I've got to do this. What happened for you? What were you feeling? How did it happen? Well, okay. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to that point in your life where you're kind of at a crux, whether you've graduated from something and you're trying to move on and find a place to work or kind of mm -hmm. a, a way to be. I had graduated from CU with a degree in linguistics and French. So I wanted to put those degrees to use. So I taught English in French in France for a year. But that experience was really interesting to me because you really did see right in the middle of town this kind of like frontier between a more artisan type of food culture with people making their own things, growing their own things, and then bringing them into the town, which is very supported and very normal. But then at the same time, the shop across the square would be something that was competitive in a certain way so we had like your canned foods your mass produced items oh. that was really that were really cheap so you really saw right there like kind of the dissonance between different styles of food production and that was really intriguing to me when I came home from France I wanted to see who in my local area was involved in alternative agriculture so I just spent a little while touring different farms some permaculture institutes some just some, some, a variety of, of folks doing different things. And I landed at the Farmette in Lyons, which has, you know, a permaculture growing thing happening there, but they also use their premises for not only growing, but also for educational things. So mm -hmm. you can learn like whatever. So I saw a lecture from Bill and 
it was pretty galvanizing for me because it was a mixture of making sure that I, well, I guess I felt like I had a way to go and a route to start in. So, like, Mm. where do you start trying to fix, as one person, trying to fix, you know, a food model that you don't agree with? And it was seeds. And once I heard him speaking about seeds and the loss of diversity that we're experiencing currently and have experienced over the past century and probably more, it was absolutely clear to me that that's where I should be getting involved. Wow. So I did. Wow. (laughs) Epic. I I love telling epic epic stories. So we need to get you actually on the podcast. So we'll we'll pull you in for that here pretty soon. I'm in. I'm so so in, Greg. Yeah. All right. Cool. So on a day-to-day basis, let's talk about what it takes to run a seed business. And you can chime in here too, Bill. Uh, But what do you do, Julia, on – you know, on a day-to-day basis with your seed business? What's there to do? Well, as you can imagine, it's a very seasonal operation. Mm -hmm. So my busiest seed packaging part of the year starts in about January and goes through about May. And a lot of my customers are in Colorado, and so we're working with a really short-growing season. So people are really prepared I start getting orders in, you know, December, even earlier than that, from people who are looking for, like, the freshest harvested seed because there are limited quantities. And, you know, you really start to see people who are very prepared hop on. But anyway, the busiest season, I go to work. So I have the seed business right now in an artist collective. Oh, nice. I like being around. Yeah. I like being around creative energy, and it's it's just me that's in the seed business. So I like feeling like I have I have company, and that kind of creative energy really goes well with the vibration of seeds and this kind of potential of creation in life. So yeah. it I think it vibes well there. But first thing I do is I straight up just print off the orders that came in within you know the last night or the last day. Uh huh. And then I get those all organized, and then I go order by order, and I print off each item one by one. And Bill used to do this differently because Seeds Trust has kind of responded to what I am capable of as one human. And there was a point in time where Bill had, like, this amazing group of folks all contributing, and so I've kind of scaled it to a size that I can do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I print out packets, and then I go through each order, and then I put the seeds into each packet, seal them up, package them in envelopes to send, and then I take them to the post office, and that's what I do every day. Wow. So the more interesting parts to me are making the connections between growers and the people who buy from me. I really enjoy cultivating the seed network of who has special seed, making sure that I have enough stock of what people want and are continuously asking for. So main, Um, not to mention the challenge of growing your own. Growing your own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So how do you go about sourcing seeds? You know, do you have growers that work for you? Sometimes. And I will say that it's in flux. The situation is constantly changing Uh and those are, the little spots where I'm trying to support a more local 
grower. So mm-hmm. I source from places that are in the Rocky Mountains and areas that will respond really well to the region where I, you know, where Seeds Trust is trying to support. So yeah. the challenging situation of growing at elevation and growing at altitude. All right. So the idea is to source regionally from a variety of places, right? So that you keep right. diversity in your seed supply. But, you know, knowing Bill and Bell and being plugged into the community that has come from seed school has been absolutely indispensable. And oh. Bill spending 25 years of cultivating his own network of seed sources, like that is, that is what got passed on to me. You know, and that was an enormous, valuable resource to benefit from the work that Bill had put in for 25 years. And that yeah. was, you know, not insubstantial. Like that's, a, you know, basically a lifetime's work. You know? Oh, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Wow. So if someone wanted to grow seeds for you, but, you know, now I'm down in the desert. Granted, I'm down in the desert, but I've been harvesting parsley seeds. I probably have a pound or two of parsley seeds here. And lupus seeds, I probably have three pounds of lupus seeds. And, you know, I've been processing them and saving them and storing them like that. But if somebody wanted to grow seeds for you, what might that look like? Mm-hmm. Well, I would want to know who they are. I'd want mm-hmm. to visit them and see what they do. I would like to do some some trial growths and see, oh. you know, if there's, first of all, the phenotypic type of recognition of what it is that I'm kind of expecting. And I would really like to see, like, germination tests, maybe some, some story background behind the seed. I want it to be special, but I really want to have a connection with the person that I you know, that is involved in Seeds Trust as far as a grower. Yeah. And, hey, there's that trust part. So I would like to be able to get to know them in some regard and the variety. I mean, I know you, Greg, and I've been down to see what you're up to. And, like, uh-huh. I know you're a seed guy and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So at that point in time, it would just be a matter of adding it into the catalog, talking yeah, about pricing, it. talking about how much you can provide consistently because it's not just going to be – I mean, I guess we could talk about it, but it wouldn't just be like a one-hit one wonder thing. type of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're I'd looking be looking to offer something regularly, you know? Right, right. Are you committed to being able to provide that, you know, that right. to people out there in the world, spread that seed? Yeah, yeah. Greg Peterson, the parsley seed grower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, well, we're actually growing, I'm actually growing these seeds out. You don't know this, Bill, but I'm growing these seeds out for our seed up. These are going to be free packets I'm, that we're going to hand okay. out to people buying seeds at the, you know, the great American seed up that we've got coming up. So. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of good feedback from that too. Oh yeah. No kidding. No kidding. I'd make, I'd make a joke about spreading my seed, but it might be a little off color. <laughs> well, you just made it buddy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Phenotypic. What does that mean? Phenophysical. Geno, genetic. So you hear seed people talking about genotypic and phenotypic descriptions mm. of things. Mm-hmm. So if it's a genotypic, you're talking about the underlying genetics that cause something to happen. And phenotypic is just what happened, what you physically you know, observe. 
from right. something. So like it would be color and size and shape and that kind of. It's just a fancy way of making people think you know what you're talking about. Actually, it's very useful. Once you fall into it, you know it just sounds that way from the outside. But uh, yeah, it's used a lot in the seed seed yeah. world. Yeah, cool. Julia, you also mentioned germ testing. Now, we talk about that in seed school, but I'm really interested in knowing how you do germination testing and what does that mean? Yes. So I do a kind of roll your seeds in a paper, wet paper towel type of method. Ah, mm-hmm. And I lay them out in a grid of 100 so I can get like a pretty straight up percentage I learned this in seed school, and I use it pretty regularly, especially when I'm either testing my own seed for viability or I have a question about a certain lot. And why? what I mean by lot is a certain stock of seeds that I have that maybe right. I got from someone else, and I would like yep. to test it. So, yeah, I, I basically lay them out in a grid of 100, 10 by 10, uh-huh. on a moist paper towel, and then I roll it up keep it moist and let it let it kind of do its thing for a few days. Mm-hmm. Then when I unroll it, there is going to be some growth, hopefully. So ah, you'll be able right. to see like the little tail coming out. All right. Radical. Radical, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you can tell from that kind of what your success rate is as far as germination goes. Yeah. Well, and the radical – Thing about this is, is that this is what is this is the prescribed way for pretty much all seed companies to test their germination rate, right? Right. They've, you can get if you go uh, on. There is a website, the American Association of Seed Analysts. Mm-hmm. This is like the American Medical Association. It's a self-formed group of people that actually write the rules for seed testing, and you can. I think you have to pay for it now, but you can download a PDF with all the rules. And so it's a little more complicated because in order to pass, you know, as an official test, mm-hmm. as far as they're concerned, you have to monitor the temperature and you have to count the number of days that it's rolled up, those sorts of things. Mm, right. uh, in practicality, most small tea companies just roll up and do what Julia's doing and get a really good idea whether or not the seeds are alive or not. And that really does seem to work in most cases. So, yeah, it's really interesting. If you were to do this professionally, Uh I wanted to pull up these paper towels for a livelihood, you can learn how to do that and you would become a registered seed technologist. That's the term they use for people to do this in labs. And we had uh, RST, a registered seed technologist, come to one of our seed schools, which was really handy because we got to the germination. We just had her stand up and teach that part, and it was really uh, affirming. For all these years, we've been actually doing it quite right. And she affirmed that, you know, it can get pretty loose even in the lab. You know, the idea is that to get really practical information, is it going to work or not, you know? Right. So, yeah, it was really great. And it is really useful. If you've got seeds laying around for a long time or they've been cooked in your car window or Whatever, before you, uh, you know, commit to the resources it takes to actually take them outside and plant them Mm -hmm. and then to see if they're going to fail or not could be weeks. Right. You know, you can do you can do this inside and and not commit those resources till you know, the seeds are good. So but just remember one thing. We always try to emphasize this in seed school. If only one seed works, 
out of 100, mm -hmm. it works. That worked, yeah. And if it has really special genetic characteristics or a story, it's worth saving. And yeah. you can actually pull these little radical things up off your paper towel when you do the test and plant them. So they're not even wasted in this process. Mm, it's really fun. Right. All right, cool. And I'll just add here too, like the difference between doing something because you're going to sell it and doing something because you want to save the seed, I think is a little bit different. So to encourage people to do it and test it and kind of have faith in the seed is really, really important. And yeah. then there's just another level of making sure that your product is reliable is kind of another discussion. So I'm going to toss both of those out there so that the people who are listening who aren't starting seed companies mm -hmm. can take what they want from this and kind of be encouraged to get out there in the garden. And those of you who are going to start a seed company can kind of, you know, listen to this and chew on it for a minute and kind of see what there is to glean from germ testing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not starting a seed company and I save seeds pretty much every month here at the urban farm. And what I'm doing in a lot of cases here is I just let things go to seed like right now I've got lettuce and parsley and, and I, have, I haven't actually planted parsley here in probably 10 years. And I have a bunch of things, nasturtiums and garlic and onions and things that I just haven't planted. I just let them grow wild in the yard. So that's actually one great way to save seeds. If you're not, you know, don't want to get official about it and start saving seeds, just, you know, let them go to seed and spread them around your yard. Absolutely. You're not a permaculturist trying to start a food forest, are you? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. So, Julia, I have a question for you. So, your best seed story so far yet, Julia? What's your best oh, seed story? Oh, man. I know. Hmm. You, want, you want a minute or two to think about it? I would appreciate that, yeah. Thank All you. All right, Phil, your best seed story. Well, let me just fill in a little bit for Julia first is that, you know, if you're if you're sitting out there and you're thinking at all about starting a seed company, think about this. Julia really had no experience around seeds Whoa. when she made the decision to get involved. Mm -hmm. And a follow through and a few years later, you know, after interning, I mean, she put a lot of time and energy into learning, but she ended up, you know, with her own small bioregional seed company. I think maybe that's what the definition of an entrepreneur is. Yeah. She did not know how to do that when she started that path. Right. And so I just want to encourage people about that. If you've ever thought about being in this in this world, you know, the, one of the things, one of the statistics that comes out of seed school is that there may have been 20,000 small regional seed companies or things that were like co-ops or whatever around the globe, in the, you know, even into the 1970s. And um, wow. they're almost all gone. I mean, you know, what, 90% of the varieties that are planted in farmers' fields are gone. They're no mm -hmm. longer in the fields. Yeah. So we've seen this huge loss of diversity. And so, Julie, I like to see what Julia did as part of this wave coming back, where every valley, every cultural niche around this beautiful planet had someone like her yeah. that was doing this work, finding the seeds, interfacing with the growers, and making sure the people around her gets them. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I've always been, I mean, I'm, let's, you know, be frank, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. You know, to do this, especially because if you're small, you don't have the the economic scale. Right. To bring in a lot of money, but it can be a really rewarding 
you know, thing that you can make work financially in your life somehow. I mean, there are people, there are lots of people that do it. We now have 13 of the graduates from our seed schools that are at the heads of their own small bioregional seed companies. Yeah, 13 and that's you know pretty astounding. Yeah, that's astounding. So if you have any ideas about doing that, this is the night to ask your questions. You could save yourself a lot of steps <laughs> because that's why it's a, a continual journey. I had somebody in my life when I got started, you know, in 1979, uh, Ken Fisher, yes. who had run a small little seed company on five acres in Belgrade, Montana. And I wanted to intern with him and he wouldn't let me because he was old and I was just going to be in the way. I had a ponytail at the time. I was this young radical from the university, you know. But he answered my questions. He helped me immeasurably. And just to see what he had done and on the scale, I knew it was possible to do that. And so you've got that here tonight over this podcast. You've got some people that can answer your questions. So yeah. I'll, I'll let Julia now tell her story. Uh, well, hold on. I want to stop you because that was a pretty epic seed story right there. <laughs> yeah, okay. That can count as my story. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. This is very difficult. Like, You know, one of the things that came to mind, and it's a little bit of a twist, but it is something that was the coolest to me, as far as Seeds Trust kind of becoming my responsibility. I had been packaging with Bill, and I had been seeing the names of these varieties come across, you know, my little packaging desk time after time after time after time, and then you send them out to whoever, like these really pretty dedicated customers who are involved and they ask questions, and they come back year after year after year, and thank you for the work you're doing, like, when I get a, a an order that comes in and just a little thank you for the work you're doing at the end is mm-hmm. really means a lot and great folks. But these seeds and these varieties started to become somewhat like mythical to me because I hadn't had a chance yet to kind of become intimate with them as far as growing them and become acquainted with them. Right. So I will never forget the first round of my personal seeds trust seed trials with these varieties that I had been packaging and they were like little celebrities to me and then all of a sudden Mm. here they come up in my own garden in Colorado as part of like this new cycle of momentum that was my responsibility and something I was trying to get out there in the world and they were doing their thing they were growing. They were turning into yeah. the varieties that I'd been reading about and seeing, and it was it was real to me. And that was an important step into feeling legitimate, feeling like I'm caretaking these varieties. And it was really – it might sound a little boring, but that was one of the more potent moments for me on yeah. this journey so far. Yeah. Well, you know, th- you know, things happen in that moment and to change our life forever if we're listening. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a big thing. Yeah, you know, and I had been so wrapped up in, in what I would consider Bill's mentorship. And, you know, this this kind of like, wow, you, you see somebody having dedicated their life to this vision and mm-hmm. having done such an inspiring job every step along the way. And then all of a sudden, there you are by yourself. Like, hey, uh, seed yeah. community, seed people, seed magic. I This is what I got to do now by myself is start to cultivate that same feeling of respect, of empowerment, of mm-hmm. integrity. Like, 
the support of the seeds, I think, in that moment was pretty important mm. to me, having stepped away from, you know, my little, my space of yeah. certitude and kind of like, whew, you know, safety, too. Yeah. So that was pretty big for me. I love that you said the support of the seeds. <laughs> Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, it's like, hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, the support of the seeds, it was like, I think the the name Seeds Trust is it just on so many levels is relevant. Mm-hmm. And in the moment when I was doing those trials and I was becoming acquainted with how they would grow, you know, I, I knew they would grow well, but you don't know until they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the seeds supporting, you know, my belief in them and vice versa. It was like, okay, it's us now. And yeah. We're going to do this together, Seeds. You know, basically, they are Seeds Trust when it yeah. comes down to it. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing. Cool. So Emily from New Mexico has a question for us. She says, some seed projects may run on seed sales. However, so many seem to rely on grants and donations. What tips, thoughts, challenges, stories can be shared on sustainably maintaining seed projects that rely more on these later funding sources? That's an interesting question. Is she asking about how they would, uh, both sides are more of the grant type of nonprofit situation. What tips, thoughts, and challenges can be shared on sustainably maintaining seed projects that rely on these donations and grants? Excellent question. Well, it's hard. You know, there's, there's an old saying in the nonprofit world that says, if you want to do something and it works financially, it's a business. And if it doesn't, it's a nonprofit. <laughs> oh. And so by its very nature, but take, turn that around. You know, humans should be visionary enough and challenge what's going on in their own societies enough to invent new kinds of organizations and ideas that, that aren't going to pay. That, that, you know, there's a rightful place for nonprofits, and maybe someday they will. Yeah. They're usually visionary projects that most people in society don't value enough yet to give the dollars to. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would put a lot of seed projects. And there's still a pretty finite level of people that give money to those sorts of projects that really right. understand just just how important seeds are. Now, the ones that have awakened to that are pretty supportive and pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of those have already found projects that they like to give to year after year after year. So if you're new, you know, you're up against that. But yeah, it's a really interesting thing. That's why, you know, the two largest seed conservation organizations in the United States, Seed Savers Exchange in Decorah, Iowa, yep. and I would say Native Seed Search in Arizona, both rely substantially, Seed Savers even more, on their seed sales. They would not be there without that support, you know, that the, the grants and the foundation and the membership and the donations have gone up and down over the years. But that's what's sustained them still being there after 30, 35 years. And so just remember that, you know, when if you're an entrepreneur, the first thing question you should ask is what's already working and mm. how does that work? Right. I mean, it's we we're challenged to, to invent a new world. Mm-hmm. And we need to do that. But when you're first starting out, you don't have the time, energy, or money to invent a completely new world. So maybe right. it's a good idea to c- copy those things that are working around yeah. you. And yeah. I've, always, I've always been a big advocate of having some seed sales. 
you know, I, I, when we deal with seed schools in Native American communities, something mm-hmm. I learned early on is that I don't even talk about sales. You can't, seeds are not sellable. Mm, they're right. living beings. As, as Lee from Hopi says, they're our children, their spirit, their story, their culture, they're us. And so we can't sell them. And I understand that. However, most of the seeds that are procured in the United States are, are, are done so by consumers. Their human beings have been trained to think totally differently. They don't know how to get things mm-hmm. unless they buy them. They don't know how to value things. It's just how it is. Yeah. So if you really, if, if diversity is important to you and getting seeds out to a large number of people in the public, right now sales is how it's done. Yeah. It by and large, even by large seed conservation organizations that are nonprofits. So Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of adapt to the systems that exist. If you have a vision and it can use those channels to kind of disperse itself, then I think that that is being resilient in and of itself. Yeah. I've got a really awesome individual in my life who I'm starting to create new visions with as far as seeds trust goes. And a lot of things we've been talking about recently is, okay, well, hey, if we do a new project, are we going to be for profit or, you know, not? Yeah. And it's been really interesting because her skill set is grant writing, right? She She knows that world. So we're like, okay, well, hey, that might be a strength. And I'm like, oh, well, I, okay, I can learn. I'll learn. But, you know, right. that's not my skill set at all. And we came to this this kind of spot in the middle where, well, we'd really like to be a social enterprise, right? So that's that's a business whose DNA is to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when you're a business, it's like, oh, yeah, you're for profit, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, you know, and that should be, you know, something that you you, you have a living, right? Wow, I do something right. I believe in and world a better place and is trying to help you know like that's pretty cool mm-hmm. so where can you you know kind of create this situation where you i don't know maybe you can get in a little bit on some of the grant stuff but you also have the straightforward nature of offering a product you yeah. know so we kind of getting into that you know economic space that sometimes mm-hmm. you know might not feel like it has much spirit but then again, we're talking about the systems in which we kind of exist. So, you know, it really, for me, made a lot of sense to offer a concrete product while yeah. maybe expanding the side that could be a potential nonprofit branch. Yeah. So for us, it's a hybrid, and I'll just speak for, you know, Seeds Trust and myself. Yeah. Well, and the truth of the matter is, is that all organizations, whether they're for-profit or nonprofit or social enterprises, they have to make a profit. They have to find funds. They have to make money. Some of them get their funding, call it profit, from grants. Others like, you know, Julia, you're, you're doing, you know, selling seeds in order to make that happen. Uh, so in permaculture, we talk about regenerative design. And in sustainability, we talk about sustain you know building sustainable systems and if we're not financially sustainable we're going to go away whether it's on a personal level or as a business so we have to figure that out and you know i love personally i love the selling the seeds model because if you're getting 
up close and personal with seeds and growing your own seeds and coordinating with farmers to grow seeds for you. That's, you know, that's really making a huge contribution. Yeah. Yeah. So, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to follow that up, Frederick from Texas wants to know a simple way to start packaging seeds. And I, I don't, my sense is that it doesn't have to be real expensive. Either one of you can um, take that. No, well, you know, there's, I'm not quite sure what level he's on. There's a couple. One, one of our students from seed school in Los Angeles, after mm -hmm. we were there, started a seed company called Cityscape Seeds. Mm. And it's actually a nonprofit. It's part of a church. It's all volunteer labor. And they package up all the seeds of the plants that are going to seed in the church garden. Turns out they have a very visionary pastor. This is in Santa Monica, California. This is where nice. the civil rights movement started in Southern California, kind mm -hmm. of a church. The, maybe the People's Republic of Santa Monica, some <laughs> people call it. Anyway, they turned their whole churchyard into a community garden that provides free food for homeless people. Oh, you know? nice. And so those, a lot of that stuff goes to seed, so they, they gather the seeds. So what... Joanne figured out how to do was using an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, which is the most common size, mm -hmm. printing it in a regular inkjet or laser printer that you can find anywhere, mm -hmm. and then uh, folding it in an origami shape to make a seed mm. packet. And so what? Cityscape Seed, and they use local art. Wow. From the church, from the children or whatever. So she, they've got about 20. What Last time I saw her, they had 20 or 30 of the most beautiful square origami seed packets that were all done just from 8.5, 11 sheet, the local art, and they were folded by hand as part of the packaging. So that's maybe entry Anybody could do that. Mm -hmm. and, and another thing I would add in there are coin envelopes, yeah. those little, oh, you know, yeah. manila Colored ones. You see uh -huh. those here and there. You can handwrite on them depending on if you're, well, you can stamp on them. You can print stickers. It kind of depends. I've seen handwritten and then printed stickers on them as well, kind of depending on what volume you're talking here. So it can have like a really sweet kind of handmade touch to it that is pretty compelling. <laughs> so there's that idea. Yeah. You know, and then if you want to gear up to the next level, there are a couple of uh, companies in the country that sell the majority of the seed packets. You see that every company sells. Ah. One is called Cambridge Pacific. You could Google those guys up, say hi to Sherry for me. <laughs> or Cambridge, uh, Seed that was That was Cambridge, Cambridge Pacific? Cambridge Pacific. Mm -hmm. There's another one called Seed Print that's in Massachusetts. And they'll sell you blanks. So you can get the, the professional, really shiny white or on recycled paper packets that you're seeing in, on seed racks wow. in your local stores or all over. But you can get those blank and print your own. You could draw on them, do whatever you want. It's really not that hard with your own laser jet printer these days. You right. know, to come up with pictures and let's use a database. I, we used FileMaker. And so that's, you know, I'm just giving you a step-by-step. -step. And then, you know, if you're if you're really doing this and you get over say needing a thousand or two blank packets to do what you're doing then you can just graduate at either of these places and they'll start printing them for you and that would that's kind of a step-by-step -step. do it by hand get your coin envelopes get some blanks and then when you're ready you could actually have someone else print them for you yeah 
But just don't yeah. forget to put the story of the seed on the package. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why, is, why is that so important? Because that's one of the things we're losing as far as diversity goes is, is where the seed came from. Why mm-hmm. why did somebody choose this seed? How did it come to exist? What's special about it? Like wh- who was observing you know, whatever was going on that day, what was the accident that made this seed possible, this variety? (laughs) Like, it's basically the distinguishing factor between, you know, one tiny different variety of tomato versus another, and it's someone's Mm. specific preference, their relationship to that seed, which is basically what we're talking about with our relationship to food and to agriculture as a society, as humans. So we have to honor that connection between humanity and the seed wow nice yeah. nice 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 so before I, I have several other questions for you before we transition over to that i have a question from felicia here a little bit off topic but maybe not so off topic she says hello are the same techniques used for saving vegetable seed crops to be used for saving fruit tree seeds I'm suspecting this is a bill question, although you can chime in, Julia. It's a bill question. (laughs) Biologically, it's the same thing, but there's one major difference. Most of the fruit trees, I don't know what what she's referring to, but so many of the fruit trees that we have planted now are hybrids. Mm. So they they were created from crosses, sometimes accidentally. Yeah. You know, what do they say? All of the Haas avocados? that are sold in the United States came from originally from one tree. Yeah. And they were just cloned, you know, and that's not unusual among, you know, some of the others, um, pink lady apples, all these other things. So if you save seeds from that, you're not going to get pink ladies. Right. You're going to get some combination of the parents of the tree, you know, the grandparents in a sense of the, of this process that produced that pink lady. And so you can eventually select out as you can with all hybrid downstream and get back to that apple but that that's where the difference comes between vegetables and fruit trees is that how long how many years does it take before an apple tree grows up and actually gives you fruit again so you're into an 80 year 80 year process to dehybridize and stabilize that line and that's why no one does it that's why they just keep using scions and clones whereas with vegetables in eight seasons you could dehybridize your vegetable no matter what it is. And so that's probably the, the, the biggest difference. Yeah, well, and I have a statement slash question for you, Bill, about that. Because the, the, a lot of the fruit trees, like the Macintosh apple, it was, the, in fact, a lot of the apples are generations down from you know, what Johnny Appleseed did. So really what has happened is, is Johnny Appleseed was out there and he was planting millions of seeds out there in whatever year he was doing it. I can't remember, mid-1800s yeah. and or earlier. Again, I can't remember. Earlier, yeah, it was earlier. earlier. But he was, he was going yeah. ahead of civilization and planting out seeds for people to come in and, you know, basically buy the seedlings. And what happened, that, that's really more, rather than hybridizing, that's more natural selection because that is happening inside of nature. It's not got a whole lot of man's 
mankind's hands on it. What are your thoughts right. on that? Well, so I'm using the word hybrid in, in a larger biological sense. You're right. Mm-hmm. Modern, if you're talking about hybrid corn, you're talking about somebody who's worked to inbreed yeah. the parents and line the genes up before they cross them. And yeah. you're right. That's not happening with these apple trees. They're just naturally hybridizing. In other words, they're crossing. Apple is an outcrossing crop. Yeah. Virtually, it's put, the potential is that every apple on a tree could have a different father. Right. And therefore be a different and therefore be a different apple. And so mm-hmm. when Johnny Appleseed he was literally creating diversity yeah. when he was planting the seeds. They say that there were twenty thousand recognized varieties of apples in the United States when we signed the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an example of the diversity that these guys were by spreading this stuff around. And again, they didn't care about minor differences. They wanted Applejack. Right, they were fermenting right. this stuff. That was yeah. the big, you know, like all great food adventures. I mean, that's yeah. what that's why we started growing grains, right? right. Beer, and so yeah, um, yeah it, that it's really a, a fun and interesting thing. So Macintosh apple is just a one in a million, right? Exactly, these, and there could be a million more of them. Right. That's what makes it so much fun when you get outside of what's already happened. We have a peach tree in our yard that was a volunteer. And they say only about 10% of pe- volunteer peach trees actually have peaches that are edible. Yeah. There's so much diversity in peaches out there, and they've been, you know, you need to select out for that. But we got one that's edible, which the odds are really not there for that. So yeah. it's, it, a lot of these apple trees probably don't even have apples that are, would seem edible. Right. But you could, and just to answer her question, you could dehybridize that and save the seeds and plant them yeah. year after year and get somewhat the same thing, but it would take you a long, long time yeah. to do that. Yeah. I have an eight-year, a seven-year-old one in the front yard here, and it, I'm still playing with it, but it makes peaches. So, so just for yeah. everybody's edification, Johnny Appleseed, John Chapman, September 26th, 1774 to March 18th, 1845. That's when he. Thank lived. you. Yeah, he was an American pioneer nurseryman who introduced apple trees to a large part of Pennsylvania, Ontario, Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, as well as West Virginia. Uh, he became an American legend while still alive due to his kind, generous ways, his leadership in conservation, and the symbiotic importance of attributed to apples. There you go. I know that. I know that the. Uh, in Geneva, New York, there is an apple facility run by the state, and they have 3,500 apple trees planted there, different varieties. I love it. So, yeah. Yeah. Road trip. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, well, you think about the, the largest collection of genetic diversity in fruit trees in the world. Mm-hmm. is outside of St. Petersburg in Russia that was collected by uh, Nikolai Vavilov, oh. one of the original mm-hmm. botanists. And it was almost bulldozed the other day. This has been several years ago. Wow. After the fall of the Soviet Union, the funding for keeping this live gene bank, again, mm-hmm. the largest collection of fruit trees in European history <laughs> in one place. And a developer bought it and was going to build condos. Wow. Uh-huh. And a million tweets. 
the word went out around the world, and this guy, the president of Russia at the time, Medvedev, who was the interim, he was a, a Putin pick to uh-huh. fill in the space until Putin could be president again constitutionally under their new constitution. He, yeah, they re, he received over a million emails and thing, and they, they put a stop to it, but it still has not been resolved. It's still sort of on temporary hold to wow. keep all of this fruit. And once it's gone, it's a, they're one-of-a-kind trees. Oh, that yeah. will be gone. So wow. I just a little story to make you feel good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it stopped. Yeah, they stopped it. So, Julia, tell me about your website and what seeds you have there. How can people get seeds from you if they're interested? Yeah, great. Thank you for asking. So the mm-hmm. website is seedstrust.com. And everything is on there as far as browsing availability. You can download a catalog if you want, but it's also, you know, pretty interactive. So you can just poke around and see what you'd like. It's categorized into high altitude Southwest and Seeds Trust. So there over the years have been these little projects to kind of even further specify and regionalize different varieties. So Bill and Bell worked a long time on providing seeds that would thrive in the long desert, the long mm-hmm. desert season and kind of the extremes. And at the same time, his work in Idaho was with seeds that were high altitude adapted, really short season. And then you've got those seeds that are, are kind of the champs, like the all-stars that will pretty much do, do, do their justice all over. So depending on, you know, what's most appropriate for you, you can poke around there. You can always also contact me. So my information is on the website, just julia at seedstrust.com. Phone calls, emails, whatever you need to ask questions that are not provided on there. But there's also a wealth of information on the website, thanks to Bill, because I also, even though I gave the the website a facelift in the years since I bought it from Bill, Mm -hmm. The information available on the website is really unique and really special. So take a minute and look around. There's really, you can go pretty in-depth with a lot of this stuff as far as saving seeds, scientific questions about their names, questions about the definitions of certain things, whether you're confused about what open pollinated means or what a hybrid is. Mm. That's all there at your disposal. So. You know, there's a lot of really, really good tools. So cool. take a peek. Cool. That's mm-hmm. plural. Seeds, yeah. S-E-E-D-S-T-R-U-S-T dot com. Seedstrust.com. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Cool. Absolutely. So, Bill, we do online, our online Seed School Online. You can find out more information about that at seedschoolonline.com. But you have some other events coming up around seed saving and teacher there's a seed teacher training why don't you tell us about those yes if you're ready to go to the second level in this whole what i like to call lovingly now a movement i think carol Deppy said that if we're a movement we need songs (laughs) (laughs) well i'm going to stop you there real quick hold on i'm going to stop you the first level would be taking seed school online right that's the first level, right? Yeah. Learning how to save your own seeds and however you can do it, yes, taking Seed School online. Second level for us now is Seed School teacher training. Mm. So we realize that we're not going to be able to um, take the time, even though we've had over a 1,000 graduates now of our Seed School programs. This will be our third Seed School teacher training. And mm-hmm. so you will join about 40 other that have gone through this program. If nice. you come to 
Denver, Colorado, October 1st through the 6th. Mm-hmm. We're going to be at the Posner Center there. Friends of Inca Farm is helping to sponsor us. Uh, Sherry Manning, thank you, Sherry, uh-huh. and the great people that we have out there. This class is going to sell out, and it is being populated by superstars. These people are extension agents. They're university people. They're, it's just going to be an incredible synthesis, symbiosis of energy. Like, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because mm-hmm. this is where the future is being created. Every C-School teacher training, we have new methods and new ways of approaching the subject come out yeah. from the students themselves. Oh, yeah. And the course is about half of uh, reinforcing the principles that we've learned that are most important to change people's lives mm-hmm. when they come through Seed School. So you'll, you'll get all that download again. You'll get Seed School online, actually. Yeah, um, I was going to say. Before you come to Seed School teacher training as a reminder of all of those. And then about half of it is how to present it. And so you'll have real-time practice all the way through and critique through the whole week. So by the time you leave, you feel really comfortable. And then we're going to ask you to at least do one or two seed school presentations, maybe a day, maybe an hour, whatever you want to do. And we'll help support you in that next year to do that. And in that way, we're really starting to make a difference together. Yeah. Excellent. So that's Seed School Online, that's Seed School Teacher Training. Where do they find out about Seed School Teacher Training? RockyMountainSeeds.org okay. is our nonprofit, the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. That's the Perfect. best way to go to it right now. Good. Perfect. And people can sign up for other seed schools there as well, can they not? Yes. We don't have another one on the books yet. The other event we do have is one, this will be our third year at what we call Grain School. Oh my at gosh. the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And I think that's yeah. January 12th through the 14th this year. That's that's starting to gain its own national momentum. Oh, uh, this year we're going to have uh, Steve Jones from the Bread Lab is going to be there. Uh, the Land Institute in Salinas, Kansas, I think oh, will be back. Oh, nice. Um, we've, you know, in the past we've gotten our lectures on Kernza, which is the first perennial grain that they're now making beer out of. The Patagonia Company's making beer. They call it Deep Root Beer. Yeah. Um, it's a gathering. If you're interested, you know, as, as Evan Sofro, our farm manager, when I was the director at Native Seed Search, said one time, he said, Bill, all these vegetables are the icing. We mm. need the cake. <laughs> and it's true. About 70% of our calories come from grains. And we're not, yeah. you know, we're not having transition to that. And it turns out that many of the grains that used to grow in each of the little uh, eco regions around the West, especially, um, there's no seed left. There's only maybe 50 seeds in the genetic resources information network by the USDA or right. in collections, CUSA. And so we're getting those grains out. We've passed them around the West. We're starting to increase the seed. And once a year, we bring together all the growers, the uh, harvesters, the cleaners, the millers, the bakers, the brewers, wow. the malsters. That's a whole new category. These people are yeah. malting bark. Yeah, and so it's really, I think we had, uh, there were over 70 people in the p- last year's class picture. You know, 40 presenters and 30 class members, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a really nice. good thing. So if you're interested in seeds and seed saving on, on that level, you know, come to grain school. Yeah, perfect. Perfect, perfect. Well, Bell, Bill and Bell, I know Bell's out there listening. Uh, Bell's, uh, Bill's partner in, in uh the seed adventure they're doing. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and thanks for being here and continuing to 
work with me on Seed School Online and so on and so on. And Julia, oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming on board and chatting with us tonight. Thank you so much for letting me hop in. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Great fun. Great fun. Thank you both. And, uh, you know, as I like to say, farm out and I'll catch you on the flip side. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.